and you know, we're, I think we always take the stance of like, well, a CEO making $50 million seems crazy. And then I look at that and I'm like, man, she turned that company around to the tune of, you know, $1.1 billion over four years. Like whatever she's making, is probably not enough. Like, I mean, you know, you, cause, cause we do, we always take that line. I mean, I do the same thing. You know, you, you see somebody's salary and you're like, whoa, that is crazy. And then, but when you see like that, like an enormous change in that amount of time, it, I was like, wow. This is Brett Hale joined by Taylor Lowe and Ben Glather on another episode of Boardroom in the Basement. Today, we're going to take a look back at Xerox and Ann Mulcahy when she turned the company around in the early 2000s. With all the negative news about layoffs, this is an area we thought we could dig into and have some fun talking about. With that said, I think, Taylor, you're going to kick us off with an article you found. It's right here. I just pulled it up. But her, her statement of... I applaud companies that have pulled back from setting earnings expectations and that are trying to reshape the rules of the road. If I could take Xerox private, I'd do it yesterday. Um, and that, I guess a little bit earlier, she also said, um, yeah, this is really what I liked. Uh, pressure from Wall Street for short-term performance has a huge problem that may be hurting public companies in the long run. It's one of the most dysfunctional things going on in the marketplace today. And that's when she was like, I would think. And what year was that? That was like 2005. Five? Yeah, 2005. Articles from 2005. Yep. Yep. And, and so relevant today. So relevant, yeah. One thing, and I love always fighting against what we think, mm-hmm. I wonder how much money she's making, and I'm going to say it's not enough. So I looked... I looked at the numbers. So it said when she took it over, mm-hmm. right, in 2000, they had lost right. $273 million that year. Right. And by 2004, she had turned it around and they were profiting uh, $859 million. Yep. And I was like, that's like a one, you know, in four years, a $1.1 billion swing. Yeah. And... And, you know, we're, I think we always take the stance of like, well, a CEO making $50 million seems crazy. And then I look at that and I'm like, man, she turned that company around to the tune of, you know, $1.1 billion over four years. Like whatever she's making, is probably not enough. Hmm. Like, I mean, you know, you, cause, cause we I do, s- we always take that line. I mean, I do the same thing. You know, you, you see somebody's salary and you're like, whoa, that is crazy. And then, but when you see like that, like, an enormous change in that amount of time. It, I was like, wow. Yeah. I, there's a lot to unpack there. I, I, in one of the MBA classes, I kind of got into it with somebody about this topic because of, um, the, the CEO of Starbucks at the time had just gotten fired and was making just crazy money. And the next CEO came in and, you know, I don't know, just let's just say 25% more than he was making mm-hmm. just, and hadn't proven himself yet. Right. Mm-hmm. So, it's it's one of those things too that there's for me I'm I'm thinking there's a disparity first of all between the CEO and everybody else that's actually there also doing the working mm-hmm. decisions um and sure the CEO should get paid the most but what does that look like from from the entire company is where mine mine goes out of the gate mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I agree with what you're saying for sure yeah no I totally see your point Ben and I, I see your point also Brett I like marrying those two together in that she 
did something like there is a clear you know line of evidence that suggests hey when ann came in she helped turn this thing around and now we're we're back on track um i like also i would also like to explore yeah like what what's the what's an entry-level position get paid right and and how does that match up with the cost of living and wherever that individual is right and like is is there equity and balance along the lines there Part part of the article and what else was explored was, you know, hey, part of this turnaround was letting people go, which oh, yeah. there's good reasons for that. I understand. I wonder to, and here's here's the here's the real thinking. It's this like person that gets paid fifty million dollars, right, for as a salary. How many jobs is fifty million? Like, if okay, like, what do you need as a CEO at a struggling company, the one that it's debt riddled that. You're, you're coming in to turn around, you know, but the moment you turn it around, you know, how, how much, how much are you getting paid that could be used to, to help, you know, maybe close gaps or disparity, you know, occurrences to your company? Like how much can you just take money and throw out that problem that would, that would help address certain issues? So I, I, I see it both sides, right? Yes, you're well compensated. You, you have a lot of responsibility and that deserves a, a very high salary. How high is too high, right? And how how much more can you do with that dollar bill somewhere else in the organization, maybe? Yeah. Mm. Go go back to her statement about the the board and being a public company and taking it private. Mm. I bet you, you know, there's the board would much rather pay the CEO a crazy amount of money and let go people than and have somebody say, "Let's keep people," and I'll I'll make less. Yeah, it's true. At one point, she did mention. Um, I think in a conversation she was, I forget which, uh, bank or a uh, bank executive she called, but they, they had a moment where they shared, you know, kind of resonated on the point of there's so much pressure, even, even feeling right. Or she said something about behind closed doors. Some of the most high, high, highly paid CEOs will tell you that, yeah, wall street is destructive and it really does hamper long-term progress it's like fox news Ooh, yeah. sick burns <laughs> if it feels good right <laughs> if it feels good do it <laughs> uh, but that that pressure is is real is is significant and hard to overcome yeah. which i could understand but it circles me back to her original point it's just if i could take xerox private i'd do it yesterday um, I feel like it hits on the our, our uh, often catchphrase of sorts, where it's like, "How do you keep small businesses small, right, but still yeah. successful?" It has that kind of a feel to it. And, it. and to jump back to when you said there are reasons for layoffs, in in I, I, I'm sure there are, right? Like, there's just things you can't control. But I go back to the theme. I think of what we constantly talk about is mismanagement driving the need for that. She had to come in and completely, you know, clean do, up somebody's mess. Clean up, yeah, great way to put it. Clean up somebody's mess, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, so while while it's, I think it's the necessary action to take. You know how long? How long did I? I would I would love to know how long the previous CEO was there and how long they let him mismanage business. Mm. Yeah. Well, and and what's interesting is, like you. She says that after she turned it around. Mm. And so it's very easy to be magnanimous and talk about some of these things after you've won. 
I, I, and that, that's what I, like, I think about it, you know, cause I, I have a lot of that issue with, um, like I'll just say celebrities and, and, and those can be business, business celebrities like an Elon Musk type or, or somebody else. But I'm, you know, they, they kind of make, when they make statements about people and I'm like, yeah, but you're not really speaking from the common man anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I realized one time you were, you were that, you know, but now, now that you're making $300 million a year, you know, it, it doesn't quite ring true. And that's so the same thing with her. Like she gets to make those statements after she turned it all around and potentially, and, and is probably like, cool. I, and I'm sure she's a wonderful person. I'm, I'm not judging this, but she's turned it around, probably has made huge amounts of money. And, and if you turned around a company to that, you, you should be well compensated. Yep. But so I don't know if it quite rings true. And like some of the stuff she was talking about, like other banks were saying that the pressure was too hard. But what's also interesting is that she, she could not have turned around the company without restructuring the debt. Mm-hmm. And she could not get banks to restructure debt. So she had the relationship. I can't remember the name of the bank, but mm-hmm. to, to call, you know, the, the head of his be- head of a bank. And she said, listen, I can't do this unless everyone restructures. Mm-hmm. And that head of that bank called other, the other smaller holdout banks yep. and kind of, you know, w- whatever, whatever was done, but got them to get on board with that. Right. And so what's in her, and, and this kind of goes back to where I said, maybe she's worth her money. Mm-hmm. So if you had a CEO that did not have those kind of relationships to help restructure the debt and get them back on task, um, what would have happened? And, and furthermore, you know, they were facing bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you can't get your debt restructured. So then if you go into bankruptcy, like think of how many jobs that affects mm-hmm. and, and you don't, and you don't get to choose anymore. There is no like, let's have a management decision about this. I mean, at that point, it's just your creditors that are saying, cool, this, this business unit is worth something. We'll keep all this. We don't like this business unit gone. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you know, there, there is no more say. So it's a, uh, that, that's why I totally gravitated. I'm like, holy cow. Mm-hmm. Like she probably deserves every bit of the money that she got from mm-hmm. Xerox. You know what I wish we had insight on? And, and I think there is some of it in the article and Ben, you pointed it out, but I think the thing that's missing for me personally, anytime, like I either hear about layoffs or, you know, even my own personal experience, having been with a company that has done layoffs, I would like to see a fully just transparent sequence of decisions that led you to the point that says we have to let people go, right? It like in in my most altruistic feeling, I feel like letting people go should truly be a last resort, right? And it's always usually couched that way. I I don't think I've ever again either in the news in my personal experience heard you know the executives or the leaders making the decisions say like we didn't have any other choice. But I don't have. I've never seen like, okay, can you actually walk me through what that decision process was like? Like, where did we look to save money? Was it that we couldn't restructure our debt such that, you know, hey, it, it, this is like a make or break decision for the company? Uh, did we remove all remedial spending? Did we engage our employees to see where we 
uh, can actually save costs, right? And actually save some jobs, right? Like I just like to see a sequence that tells us like, and really gives, you know, you know, the warm fuzzies, warm fuzzies as much as warm fuzzies can be during a layoff situation, right? But like, right. Uh, I see, I, I can see why this decision was truly necessary. I just never got that. I don't think you will. I don't think so either. I mean, if you if you even watched it play out sequentially, what happened? Let's take Google for example. Um, pre-pandemic or during the pandemic, goes on a crazy hiring spree. Um, and and they they pay people very well or traditionally have. Um, and after that, what happens? The economy changes. They they lay off people and they immediately start investing big sums of money in different parts of the business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if it's it, when I think about it, it it feels like people are just uh, another resource that you can throw away. Mm-hmm. And but the the best thing about people is they don't come with contracts. Mm, that's interesting. There's no penalty. I mean, yeah. granted, you are you know. They, in a lot of cases, give them severance and, you know, uh, health insurance for a while. Yeah, and, and unemployment. Unemployment. So they do. There, there are. A little bit, but yeah. Not, not as bad as like a real estate. You're right. Right. I mean, if you signed a 10-year lease and you break it, mm-hmm. you've got to pay, you know, for 10 years. You know, or, or, I mean, I'm sure they've got probably some insurance clauses and stuff. But anyway, yeah. Yeah. And, and if you think of their, some of their biggest spends, let's just say Vertiv. Uh, like a power service contract, right? Mm-hmm. Those prices are going up probably how, how much every, I mean, 12, 12% annually, 12% annually. Mm-hmm. That's added right to the bottom line, mm-hmm. yeah. taken away right from the bottom line. Yeah. Right. So you, you, and you're not going to just say, okay, we don't need power supplies right now. Yeah. And, and so what do you do? Like, yeah. Oh, well, you know what an easy way to get rid of all this money is. Or, or recoup some money is, mm-hmm. and I think that's it right there. It's it. It always has the sense of it was. It's an easy thing to do, right. right? It's a lever you can pull real quick, and 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 this I think weaves into the public sector a lot because you you hear about it publicly a lot of times, but you get the sensation that it's it's one of those signals that uh, a, a executive can pull very quickly to say, hey. We're trying to turn this around, and, and, and one of the ways we're showing you that we're doing that is we're letting go of a bunch of people, right? And it just, it, it seems, it, it's, it's easy button feel. It's um, at times, yeah, I think, I think most times, like, not clear, not transparent. Um, you know, other times you have mixed signals, right? Right, you point out, like, hey, as soon as this happens, we're investing in some other area or we're even in some instances hiring like in some yep. other parts of the company you Absolutely. know um which is just it's just like kind of blows your mind and just like was there some way that you could have transitioned or you know held out a little bit longer i mean even to the point where are you offering salary reductions like to the point where these people can still have jobs and livelihoods to the point that they still want to be involved with the company what other alternatives are out there? Layoffs just feels like easy. Yeah. yeah, I mean, look at the convenience factor of saying we have we're gonna we need to 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 lay off you know eighteen thousand people, but we're hiring eighteen thousand people for a large company like Google, mm-hmm. and the the logistical nightmare of saying okay, let's figure out who's trained up to actually make the move, who's mm-hmm. not, how do we get them help, who's going to be involved. And, and I can only imagine that as an executive, you're like, this is just a big distraction. Mm-hmm. 
and and what do we get out of it at the end? And the the fact that you're you're making an investment in people is just not enough. And, yeah. And I think fundamentally that's the problem I have. Like it, it just feels like instead of saying, all right, the the board recommended that we we start cutting people to make EBITDA um you know more stable and invest in uh profitability and not growth right now. Mm-hmm. So so let's just cut some people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that and this is this is a, a big difference uh, between like EU and U.S. labor laws for sure. Um, it's not it's not as easy to get rid of people mm. um, because of you know wrongful termination, which is you know I've heard varying things in in the U.S. where almost anybody can win a wrongful termination suit if you actually pursued it, but. Mm. You're going to have to spend time and resources instead of that you could put towards getting another job. Right. Right. How, how much are you actually saving when you want to, when a, a big company, especially decides to lay off lots of people, people are va- very valuable resources. They should, should be well compensated for the work that they do. Mm-hmm. But to the extent that you're a business who's, you know, revenues, profitability, whatever are based on your product or your service. Like how much in the scheme of things are people as a cost? Um, and maybe Brett, you know, I, I think you've had some insight to this potentially as, as a manager, you know, seeing like what your people are paid and maybe having some insight on like, you know, how, how much are costs when it comes to people and salaries and, and, and that sort of thing. And when, when you make that move, are you really saving? Are you really, um, you know, affecting the bottom line or in, in that way? Or is it more just, hey, it's the signal. It's the, the need to show the, the streets that we're doing something. Um, so that's, that's a question that's in my head. And I don't know. Like, it's a very sincere question is like, when you, when you are laying off thousands of people, how much money are you actually saving in the grand scheme of all the stuff that, that you're spending money on your, your costs, if you will? Sure. I, I, I can't answer that exactly, but I know if I just took the, the teams that I work on right now, one or two people's salary, what we get paid full benefits, the whole like total cost of employment for a person. Yeah. One or two people equals the infrastructure cost that we probably pay to AWS for just our specific group. Mm, okay. So, okay. So if you think about two teams worth of people, yeah. Um, and you needed to cut costs at a small level, I can let go one or two people. Yeah. And, and, and for example, Eventbrite, instead of, you know, from, from what I've heard, the, I wasn't there with the, the pandemic layoffs, but they made a very immediate and sharp cut so, so they could only do it once. Mm. Since then it's been growing at a, at a slower rate. And now, instead of growing too fast, what they've done is they just pushed hires back later in the year mm. or said, ask managers, managers to say, do you actually need these positions right now? Mm. Um, so, you know, in that sense, I, I have a lot of respect for, for leadership at Eventbrite um, because I think it would have been very easy to say, okay, now the pandemic is, you know, we're coming out of it where live events are coming back. We're starting to make more money. Just, hire everybody you can yeah yeah and and then right now we would have been going oh shit we gotta lay off people yeah yeah so i think just to chime in on one other thing with that i i totally appreciate that struggle and as another question i would i'd love to get our take on but it's how do you (laughs) 
how, it's almost like how do you hire w appropriately and at the right kind of like resourcing rate to yeah. to like prevent the need to have to lay off people like down the road a bit and and what's bringing the thought to mind is my company just went through that where they essentially said the 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 line that they've um provided in terms of like the economic driver was our supply in terms of incoming work did not meet the demand of our hiring rate right so because of that and because we just misjudged for a, a calendar cycle we have to lay some people off right um and so it, it and, and again, I, I felt I, from, from my own experience, like I felt like, you know, leaderships were being sincere. I don't feel like I was fully transparent, you know, per the, the usual experience, but it's not like I felt like there was a callous um, approach to it. Yeah. But, but it did, it did leave the question. It's just like, well, how do you, how do you hire the right amount of people at the right time so that you don't have the situations of like, ah, oh, we're just a little too overstaffed right now and just, ah, oh, we're. We don't have enough work coming in right now to justify these amount of people. And like, what other levers can you pull to say that it would maybe leave you in a situation where it's like, oh, we can't hold on to these people, and we do see a, a pipeline of work that will be available for them to to tackle and address. So it's a question. Like, I don't have an answer, but it's a question. It's how do you do that? I don't think there is a solid answer. I mean, I think part of it is is um, as you were talking about that, I thought about the most classic case which is Peloton. Mm. So Peloton is a company humming along and the pandemic hits and no one can leave their house and no one can go to the gym. So Peloton sales go through the roof mm -hmm. and you know, they said, so you know, you, you think about it, they have two choices. They can either not grow and meet the demand of all the orders, or they can hire people meet that demand. And, and no one had ever seen anything like that. And so now as Peloton, you know, kind of plateaued and, and I think has even gone down a little bit after the pandemic, they have no choice but to cut some of those costs, which manufacturing costs, which include people. And, and so I, I think the biggest thing would be uh, experience. And, and sometimes there just is no, you know, I mean, just, and obviously we could Till we're blue in the face, but you know, there was no experience for the pandemic, you know, and how some companies reacted and how some things went, but you know, that that's where experience comes in and somebody that's maybe been through things have seen, you know, again, using a classic, most companies, you know, classic case of, you know, sales, which drive growth and, and, you know, availability of cash and, and stuff. And so you know, if, if you have somebody with a lot of experience that can see through this, you know, and, and then the, the flip side of this also is that then you start outsourcing, which seems neat, mm -hmm. but at the same time, that just alleviates your need to, it, it puts the onus on somebody else to lay off people. Right. Right. You know, you, you start, oh, hey, we're, we're going to outsource all this. It's an and, interesting tip. And, and then someday we say, oh, we don't need this anymore. We don't have to write anything off the books. We don't have to lay off any. There's, there's no news. There's no anything. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, I almost. Um, Just cut a relationship with the vendor and that's you, it. You do. Game over. Mm -hmm. You absolutely do. Mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, and, that, and, and that is, that's actually probably the easier path. So 
you know, I, uh, you know, to go dig deeper and to go, you know, maybe past the headline is to say are maybe some of these companies like a Google Mm -hmm. that is actually hiring more than versus putting stuff, you know, and I just offshore is a, you know, easy way to say that and, and, and having it contracted out. Yeah. I mean, are, are they doing their best to make a commitment mm-hmm. to say, Hey, we want Google employees. Mm-hmm. We, I, I don't want to just have random people. Yeah. But the flip side of that is, is from time to time, we are going to have to let some people go. Yeah. You know, I love what you're saying, Ben, and it's actually making me, it's bringing two thoughts to mind. And the first one, essentially very, uh, it's going to, it's going to sound cold. Um, and I don't mean to be like tongue in cheek about it either, but like, just the best way I can think about it is are layoffs a bad thing. Right. And, and, and to me that blossoms into like a bunch of other thoughts in that, you know, is working for the same company forever. The end all be like, is that a goal to aspire to for, for anyone and for for some people yeah sure but like i feel like i actually think the trend is otherwise right where i think the idea of like being a company person forever for so many years is is kind of fading right thinking that oh i'm going to work for one company or a couple companies in my entire career and that'll be it i think that's changing right and so to the extent of hey layoffs are in a again very maybe twisted perspective an opportunity um there's a, there's a lot of research that supports this uh, from mm. a career growth perspective about switching industries or switching, you know, even divisions within a company. Um, so it's an interesting take. Yeah, no, and, and I'd, I'd love to hear more about like what you've read there. The other, the other thought, and, and, uh, and I'll kick it over to, to you, Brett, to maybe talk more about that, is um, that uh, it, it goes back to the transparency piece. And where I think it would really be helpful as someone who's, who wants to just know that, hey, if this was necessary, and if, if we live in a world where this really can be framed as an opportunity, can you, can you as, an, as an organization who had to do this, show me where you are trying to like, like help facilitate that reality? And what I mean by that is like, are you, when you're letting these people go, providing like job placement services for them right um and extend like the severance is a big piece of that right are you giving these these people um runway and cushion so that they can hopefully you know stay whole while they are transitioning and looking for that new opportunity because it takes time and there are pressures of life um where are you meeting the people that you do have to let go so that they're left in the best position to still succeed um is is like something i would like to see woven into that whole transparency aspect it's so. a lot to unpack there. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I I really appreciate the the Peloton case. I think I think we can probably spend a whole hour talking about that alone. Because mm-hmm. um, when when they first had their you know their first trouble during the pandemic, it was a forecasting problem, and I, and I think what you know they said, okay, our our pandemic sales growth is amazing. It's going to go on into perpetuity. <laughs> Right. And, and so it's like this human nature of like, think when things are good, let's, let's manage to the best case scenario. So we're going to spend and hire and we're not going to think about the bad. As soon as that, that flips, you're like, oh, what's the worst case scenario? Mm-hmm. That's, we got to now fire enough people to match that. And so there's this like a huge pendulum swing in there. Um, and, and I think 
I think that's probably a really hard thing to manage at a large company like we heard about with, with the layoffs, but, um, you know, it, it certainly should be more of what we think about on a day-to-day basis. Even simple things like, you know, if, if I have, so I think we mentioned this in one of the other shows, but if I have somebody on my team that I know is ready for growth mm-hmm. and I can't give him opportunity, maybe I should help him find another job somewhere else where he can find his growth. and then. Maybe incrementally, you're actually helping take care of that problem. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and there's and there's also a huge uh, psychological aspect, and this is another one of the articles that you sent. But I coming back to like Peloton. So when you're talking about real goods, right? You know, and there was the supply chain, and no one could find anything. So as a purchaser for that company, for Pel- you know, just using Peloton as an example, but they, they went out and they're like, oh my gosh, no one can get anything. We need chips in our bikes. I need to get as many as I can. So, you know, you're, you're then, you're overbuying, you're doing everything you can to get them, potentially overpaying for them. Which, you know, yeah, and, and increasing, you know, your, your cost of goods. And... And so again, just putting more pressure on that when, when the, when it comes down and, but, but at the same time, you're being your CEO, everyone is rewarding you. Oh my gosh, good job. Everyone is struggling to find chips, but you're finding them. And, and another example is that like Traeger went through the, is going through the same thing right now is they had huge sales through the pandemic because everyone's at home barbecuing, getting on, mm-hmm. you know social media, doing all this, cooking at home, can't go out to eat. And now they're sitting on a big surplus of grills. Mm. And so, and they're doing their best to hold their price high mm-hmm. because they're a premium product premium product. Yeah. And they don't want to, you know, they don't want to have it slip, but they have a, they have a you know, larger than expected surplus of raw material, you know, of materials right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and so it's just the internet, you know, and, and then people obviously then get, you know, are part of this deal. And, and to go back to my original point is that so many of this, so much of this is also psychological pressures yep. that, that are hard to, may, maybe hard to prove, maybe hard to, you know, you're, you're doing your best to look at a sales forecast, mm-hmm. but you, but it's kind of all new data. Yeah. It's so interesting because Brett, you said it, Ben, you also said it, but the, the whole idea of like the forecast and what case are you managing to, I, I have to believe, and, and, and it's I, just for the sake of argument, because I don't always believe this, but I'd have to believe that, you know, leadership are making balanced decisions, not, not necessarily that they're always managing to the best case. Cause I like, like there's a mid case in there, right? You know what I think though? If it feels good, do it. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I, th- I find that an interesting thing to think about, right? And in, in that, how could your mid case, if that is what you're managing to change so drastically, right? And, and I think, it, and I think to answer that, right, there's lots of things. There's supply chain, there's uh, labor forces, there's macroeconomic events, there's, you know, different elements that kind of weave into this. Where, where then do you go when you're faced with this, like, hey, look at all these Peloton bikes that no one wants. Look at all these Traeger grills that we can't sell at our price point. What, what decisions are being made around that that 
are then ultimately going to affect your people, right? I think that's what it comes down to. Are you willing, and, and I'm not, this is a totally hypothetical example. I have no idea what's going on with Traeger, but in my brain hearing you say that and thinking about a decision point of like, oh, well, do we lay people off or do we sell our grills at a discount, right? And potentially, I don't know, risk the, the, the brand or the image of, of the company. Is that a worse decision long-term? Then, you know, letting some people go, um, keeping our inventory, right? Like, I got to think it's complex, but I just really want, like, I want, I want to, I want to be in the room when one of the, as these things happen, right? I just keep harping on this transparency aspect. I want to know how you adjust to things that, okay, you were wildly off or just so different now than what you thought they were. And how is it going to affect your people? You want to be in the room when it happens. That's right. That's the right. Room when it happens. Some Hamilton, <laughs> love it. I, you know, go, going back to the forecasting, um, I, I, that's a that's a that's a big problem. I think if you if you have a team that's forecasting for best case scenario, mm-hmm. and if you think about what you started with, almost is that. Uh, with the Xerox cases, the market, the board rewards short-term short-term gains, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and while you're not realizing those gains in the short term, you're planning for them, and you're forecasting them, and you're getting rewarded until it all falls to shit. Mm-hmm. 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 And so, it, that's so true. That you know what? That's I so I so messed up. Right. In that, like, you only. You, you can have a long-term vision for success, but unless you can demonstrate short-term success all the way through, it doesn't matter. Right. Like, as, as like, I don't know, I'm feeling, struggling to think of like a specific instance, but like just hearing you say that and knowing how the markets work, it's like, yeah, you have to demonstrate quarterly, you know, it, you know, God forbid you have more than a couple quarters of bad performance because then your, your job really starts to, you know, come at risk. But Unless you can do it consistently and grow consistently and hit those targets consistently, um, the, the the talk is going to be like, let's get someone new in there, let's get that person out. It's all like, well, think of Meta, Meta, right? Like yeah. the whole metaverse, yeah, got shut down mm-hmm. because of the board says you you can't spend this money right now. We can't invest in that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and if you think about Facebook in the first place, you know, not that it was like a. a innovation like a metaverse but facebook itself you know you just imagine what would have happened if if he wasn't allowed to like chase down some more innovative ideas yeah board yeah Yeah. and he was a lot more bold Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so i it's it's absolutely a problem Mm -hmm. there are boards in every basement in the united states collectively groaning right now hey hey. (laughs) Hey. (laughs) well and 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 what's also the other factor is, is that you have, you have other companies coming at you yep. at all times mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and, and you have other factors weighing in, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you know, and, and there, there is always a need to perform quarter by quarter, year by year, you know, whatever your, uh, whatever the gauge is there. But at the same time, I mean, there are other companies coming to eat your lunch mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and and there are some things that you just can't uh or or when you get really like using the metaverse like that's like hey that's that's a way outside the box that's you know reaching there because that, that is not a proven business that's not a proven model 
And, and so sometimes when you reach for that, it's a big fail. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's not always, you know, it's not always just somebody's decision right. to, to do it or not to do it. They, they, the decision gets made for them. Right. Right. Like businesses are coming for you. Things fail. I mean, you can't always, even if you're doing everything right. Yeah. This reminds me of, of a lot of cores and Bud Light and all these like supermarket leaders where they're just chasing each other around constantly, mm-hmm. like this whole non-alcoholic thing going on. Mm. And, I, and I get it. You, you can see the trends, but it, it feels like such a big miss just out of the gate to say all these trendy, like young Gen Zers that are going to these mocktail bars and doing it like it's an actual bar. I mean, it is an actual bar, but. And, and Coors Light's going to be like, you know what? They can do this on the couch with a can because <laughs> that's what they want. Yeah. 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 And so maybe it will work for me, but they're going to have to add the alcohol back in otherwise. I'm- yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of the, yeah, me, yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, th- I want to push a little bit back on you, Ben, um, in the sense of like, do the notion of do you have a choice i think the answer is always yes i see your point in that there's so much you have to manage juggle push back against like very complex so many different forces acting on a business and leaders at any given time i think and 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 brett we got a little bit this in mba school uh, as we had opportunity to kind of like you know ruminate and study it a bit but it they're always is a choice and there always are ways to 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 choose better and i think what really distinguishes leaders like the really great ones is they're they're able to kind of manage those complexities and leverage you know not just like their own ability to decide but the people that they've surrounded themselves with um the type of culture they've instilled in the organization the the networks that they've they've maintained and the beliefs that they just have their value systems to help make those decisions clearer, even if it seems like it's going to be maybe detrimental to the business overall. It's, it, it, you know, I just have a really strong feel that like, you know, there, there, there could be a very clear reason to do something that would be good for the, the business in that moment. Doesn't encapsulate everything that, you know, your leader, you as a leader, the culture you're trying to build, the values you hold, like how much of that is being stretched or compromised in this decision to, to still do the right thing, right? Keep this company solvent, keep it afloat, keep as many people employed as possible. Are you pushing on anything else that really is important to you in the long term and as like just like to the core of your person? Um, and, and how much is that f- kind of influencing the decision? And I just think the leaders that have like a really solid core in that aspect maybe this is some speculation but maybe have a better or an easier time making certain decisions because they've got that that solid core i don't know i'm gonna jump in here as a referee before you guys go fist (laughs) um i what i what i hear too is like when, when you said you may not have a choice i'm 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 hearing that as you have to make some sort of decision now and I think what you're calling out, Taylor, is like 
a, a lot of what we see feels like the decision process doesn't really, um, and it just doesn't feel like it's working in some way for, for a various set of reasons. And I think you call it the most important part is that like, like truly leadership from a values perspective, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting. So sorry, I just, we, we could fight now. We can go. We could go. Okay. Yeah, we're ready. <laughs> now right. I would, uh, um, point. yeah, I, I definitely think that they're, um, it, it's hard because it's not always transparent. Mm-hmm. So you don't know. And, and I always, well, that's the fun part about what we do is yeah. we, we don't have to have facts. We, we don't have to. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Well, that's, we're just, we're, yeah, we're guessing. Elon and, Musk is evil. We just, yeah. that's, that's <laughs> the only fact. But I think, um, when, when I said, uh, you know, and, and people don't have a choice mm-hmm. is I, I mean that from a twofold is that if you're, if you've got a, a group and, and using the metaverse and, and you can't do it anymore and, and you've got the best VR guys on that, you know, forward thinking, like out of the box VR guys, then it's like, Hey, we're done with this division. You know, you, you didn't come on board to be a, another programmer at meta. You came on to be a visionary and lead this metaverse and and so we don't have a position for you um and and you know and 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 i think about like that and man i i do a lot of like sports analogies but but same thing like we didn't bring denver broncos here um we we might have made a huge miss on russell wilson but we didn't bring him in to be a quarterback we brought him in to be the quarterback Mm -hmm. and so if it doesn't work in a year or two he has to go there is no if, ands, or buts about it. And I think we forget that, you know, there are that, you know, these people, especially, you know, highly motivated, highly successful people that would maybe run a division, they're not there to be part of the company. They're there to be number one division in that company. And, and they're, they're bringing on people that are there to win and succeed and be the best they can. And if they don't think they're there, this is not a, Oh, Hey, I've, I've got some, our team didn't succeed. So I've got a whole bunch of subpar people here. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and I'm not trying to, not trying to uh, be insensitive to people that have lost their jobs, but I'm just saying like, there, there is like, there, there's gotta be a, a give and a take there. and, and you know the the other thing that I wonder if we're talking about like the core and like what they think about our unemployment is still at historically low numbers mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so you know i i have to I have to think that it, at least part of it goes into when a, when a high tech company like Google is releasing a whole bunch of people that they're like, "Listen, you've worked at one of the best high tech companies out there. We're going to give you some resources." unemployment is so low, I feel very confident, you know, that, that you're going to be able to do, you know, go on and find something else. So uh, people, people are tripping over yeah. getting at this talent. Yeah. For and, sure. and, yeah. and then, and, and then to just go one more layer on, you know, also you kind of brought this up earlier, Brett is like the timing issue. You know, if, if it gets to the point where we've got to cut X number of dollars, you know, we're, 
you know, we either do it now or try to try to figure out a better way to deal with it. But now the problem might grow on us and we might have to lay off more people. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if, and, and if, if it keeps getting worse then then, you know, you, you might actually make the situation bigger and harder. So now I, I definitely, I took a little bit of a hard line there. I definitely hope and believe that people are making, I'll, I'll just say it, you know, human decision, you know, like, yeah, Hey, human decisions, feelings, Absolutely. humans, like, and, and I really do think most CEOs, even, even Elon Musk, <laughs> I, I really do believe and, and see, I'm, I'm, I always believe in the good of people, but mm-hmm. I think even he, he's not you know, a person. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't know if you heard that. Yeah, in the news. Chad GPD. No, yeah. but I, I definitely think that, you know, I, I'm sure in his heart of hearts, have a private discussion with him. You know, if, if when, when people have to leave, he's like, man, I, I don't, I don't like doing that to people, but, but I was done with that division and we're moving on. Yeah, there, there's also an interesting, uh, like, psychological thought here where even though the CEO makes the decision, that's what they get paid for, mm-hmm. they're probably in some way saying, I had no choice because of the market or because of the board. Um, and so what happens there is nobody's really, you know, taking the the brunt of the the blame or the accountability for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and the board's going to say, well, well, this is the market. It's just got to happen. And you mismanaged it as a CEO. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think fundamentally what we're missing at a board level, CEO level is that dose of reality. I think we touched on that, like Peloton, realistically speaking with our forecast, are we going to continue to grow mm-hmm. 40% year over year? Mm-hmm. It's nice to believe, but no, yeah. yeah. Not going to happen. Yeah. Unsustained growth. Um, so, and, and just to finish the second part of that is that as a board, I mean, your checks and balances. So if, if you're, if you're working with the CEO and it, and it's just confirmation bias all day long about the direction and everything, then, then you're, you kind of, you're failing already. So. I, I totally agree. And I want to say two things. Um, and I'll, and I'll go in reverse order. So, Brett, I want to respond to your uh, comments just now. And ben, I wanted to circle back to something you said earlier, too. But, Brett, I, just want, I think I want to just, like, validate that where from a, from a board to CEO angle and perspective, my personal belief is, is that the board um, is there to – it's there almost to ensure that the the big idea and that value set is preserved. And then the CEO's job is to take those values and run a business that is successful and fulfilling of those values. Is and that's that's the personal take and maybe that's controversial. But you know, it's it's almost like you don't want a boss that micromanages you, right? You want a boss that trusts you that, Hey, I brought you on to do this job. And these are the visions and the values that we have at this business. And we're empowering you to do what you think is best to make good on 
those visions and values and and make money right that's part of part of running a business um well that's the for all stakeholders not the shareholders exactly and so there and so i'm glad you said that because i also feel very strongly that there is an overemphasis on the board's part sometimes um or there can be the perception of this emphasis on one of our values is making a shit ton of money. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it almost feels like there, there can be a miss there in that like, hey, you're, you're, the decisions you're making or the, the direction this company is heading is bad because we're losing money. Right. But if the CEO can, with a, a bold face, come up and say, hey, we're, we're, we're living our values. The market's not in our favor right now. There are conditions that we're aware of that we're addressing. But by gosh, like we've done everything right by the mission and the values that this company holds dear. And and we're doing everything we can with the market and the conditions that we are to turn it around. And so I think because you're not going to be able to control those things as a CEO or even as as a a board. Right. So like there's an understanding there that I think, um, again, something I would love to be in the room for uh, to to really understand and see how that plays out, because I feel like that's how the exchange should be. Yeah. So that's one thing. And then, Ben, I just want to say I love what you said earlier um, about people. And, and, and I think this is maybe even a, like a, a something for our listeners to, to contemplate on. You've got my gears turning. But you said, you know, th- those individuals didn't come to work for a meta or that company. They, they came to do the thing that they love to do or that they want to do. And and that's where I, 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 we talked about it in an earlier episode, but there's a responsibility as an employee to, to know what you want and to know what's important to you and to, to recognize and to you know, kind of go after the opportunities that do mean something to you. And I think there's also, a, it's very fair to just have an appreciation and acknowledgement that the, the, the opportunity could go away the 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 company i go to work for maybe i misread their values and it's actually a shit place to work so i don't want to be here anymore um but i have enough assurance and confidence in myself of what what i want out of a career and uh like as a professional or or whatever even if it's not a professional you know what you want out of life and, and and you have opportunities that you know can fulfill that that's what they're after i think that's what people are really after um, and, and not to say that that's, that's clear and obvious. And that's why I say, you know, Hey, if we have listeners, like think about that, because I think it's also super, maybe too frequent where someone says, I want to go work for a Fang or I guess a Mang company now. Right. Where it's yeah. like, you know, I, you know, that's really going to set my career off. It's like, if I get into one of these places then then I'll have made it right without actually thinking, Hey, what do you want to do? Like, what's important to you? Where are your values? Right. Um, thinking about who you want to work for, maybe doesn't take you as far as, as you want or you'll get to that point and then you'll be like wow this actually is, is shit or garbage this isn't what i want at all so i just wanted to i wanted to yeah. validate that point i thought that was so important what you said is you know what do you want as an individual out of your career in life and dis disassociate that or disconnect that from who you're working with right mm-hmm. I've, I've got an actual personal story that 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 hits on that very nicely and it's you know my my career started at least in a corporate setting as a analytics engineer, so implementing stuff like Google Analytics or um, Adobe products. Um, and I always thought that my 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 end goal was to work at Adobe, and I was like, that's that's what I want to do. That's the holy grail. I want to be a consultant there. 
Um, and so I, I really worked my, my butt off to, to make that happen. Um, and then I started working at Ticketmaster. And um, after about, I want to say nine months at Ticketmaster, um, Adobe calls. And they're like, I want to, you know, have an interview, come on in. I did it. I was over the moon. I got a job offer. And it was like 40K more at the time, which was like 50% of my salary. Yeah. And I was like, man, I am all in on this. And my boss at the time said, you know, he's like, I, I have a lot of plans for you and I can't, I can't promise you anything right now because they're still in the works and I, I can't even really talk about them because, you know, it, it doesn't do much good. But think about what you really want to do in your career you know, and what you've learned here and there, and then, then make the decision. And I said, I said, this guy's crazy. Like <laughs> flat out. I was like, I like you, but <laughs> it's Adobe dude. I'm out of here. <laughs> and I, I kid you not that night, just, just this thought crept into my head. And I was like, what, what does he say? Like what in the, this he is just crazy. Mm-hmm. I, I, I probably said that 500 times at night. And ultimately I was like, you know, Something about this situation I'm in right now, I've had a a lot of growth here already in nine months. I've learned a lot. The people I work with are great. And I was like, I I can't even believe I'm even contemplating the idea that I'm sticking around. Um, Ultimately, I decided to stick around and and see what happens. And in April of the next year, I was managing a team for the first time and, and building a new product in I've, I learned more there in that time than I have in my entire career. So it's, it was, you know, I I don't know that I knew that that was going to happen, but you know, there was this idea that it, that could have happened. Um, so it's, it's a little bit different because I wasn't forced with a layoff or, or, you know, anything like that, but I, it really made a difference. And I, um, yeah, I don't know. Thought it was relevant. Well, you know, I love that story, Brett. And I want to just ask one question, uh, on the heels of that. Today, yeah. like having not taken that Adobe opportunity, do you still feel Adobe's the holy grail? Like, do you still like? Is that like how does that calculus work into you today in this moment? You know, I I I'm gonna use a really ridiculous analogy here because I think it's fun. But uh, pretend that I have a lake in my backyard, um, and I know there's giant catfish in it. And at the time, I was like, I am gonna be the best catfish fisher that that I could ever be. Um, and and I think what ended up happening is somebody took me to the ocean and said, look at this gigantic sea out here and mm. all these different types of fish. Mm. Go catch whatever you want. I love that. I love That's that a great so analogy. Well, thank you. That's a really good analogy. So it was, uh, it was a, a, a pivotal point in my career that, that, that worked out. And I, you know, I, I don't know. Adobe's a great company. I still talk to a lot of people that work there. Um, and I'm, I'm sure it would have worked out in a different way, but, um, you know, as far as where I'm sitting right now, it's really hard to look back and say that it was a bad decision. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I, I mean, I, I tried to tee it up in the sense, cause I thought that's what you were going to say, but I, you know, I got to feel that what you think and believe, like even right now, or if you look back in the past, right. you're like, you had this belief and, and you had mentors or people you trusted that helped you, you know, fold in other trains of thought yeah. that, that led you to make a decision that was counter to what you thought was, was true and correct and the right thing to do. 
And and I think there's an, an important aspect of that, right? Of like what who you're surrounding you with, what opportunities do you are you exposed to? Do you have a chance to like um, learn from others, that sort of thing? Yeah. But but also just the general point of things change, companies change, people change, values change, and so to to assign you know a uh, an, a kind of an end all be all at certain moments in time. I think it can work against you, right? If yep. you're if you're not there, there's a there's a there's a fine line, there's a balance between planning for success and having goals and knowing what you want out of life. Ver, you know, there's there's that, but you've got to balance that with like, where am I here now? What's important today? Like, what am I doing today that I'm really using to en- enrich my life and really you know make me feel like I'm I'm doing this thing right. Yeah. So there's a balance there. And there's a lot of parallels of what you're saying too with actually leadership in a company, in my opinion. So like truly why am I here? Because at the end of the day, if you if you look at it as just profit or, you know, driving shareholder value, I I, I think it's such a myopic view that that you're actually gonna miss the real chances for success and happiness mm-hmm. um in, in a company sense anyway. So mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, uh, any closing thoughts here? I'll start with the closing thoughts. Um, and it's perhaps a can of worms of sorts to open up at the end of an episode, but maybe it's something for us to talk about next time. Yeah. Um, I think what we've talked about today is, is really interesting, but I think something that I, I continually loop back to that I just hadn't been able to get out are, you know, there's a huge, societal influence on all these things and i think we touched on it with like hey you know wall street and the markets um have set the tone for what successful businesses look like for corporate greed in america (laughs) tomorrow at six yeah yeah that that sort of thing um you know and, and i think it's you know all these these things that we talk about are you know i think i think i think a lot of listeners will resonate with what we say and and come to the point of of also but also saying like hey that's just not how the real world works right, right. and to change that is so huge and to dem- do it in a different way is really hard and those things are valid um and so i just i i leave that out there in that hey there's an acknowledgement that you know it's it's way easier to do the things that we're we're saying yeah. or it's way easier to say say you know hey this is this is the way they should be done it, but there's also this real world out there that we have to contend with and also deal like kind of fold into like, how do you run a upstanding altruistic business in the context of all this reality and societal influence and beliefs and the idea, the way that things have done status quo. Um, so that's where I'll leave, leave it at is there's, there's that to talk about and contend with. Yeah. It's much easier to predict the past than the future. Yeah. 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 <laughs> ben, any uh, closing thoughts? You know, I have a uh I have a closing thought that could also spur more discussion on this would be but I uh you know, I today or actually I think it happened on Friday the CEO of YouTube and Alphabet Company was let go. Oh, all right. And she was one of the most prominent, yeah, you know, female CEOs and and was there at the inception of Google. And she was like the eighth employee, I think, or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Well, and and she, um, oh gosh, guys, the there's a HBO show 
about startups. Silicon the, Valley. Silicon Valley. Yeah. She was that. So she rented the, the quick backstory kind of interesting is she rented the two founders of Google, her garage. Hmm. Oh, interesting. And, and you know, and like $1,500 a month and that's where Google was born. And then, yeah, then they eventually talked her into coming to work for them hmm. when they were still very, very small. And they actually went since went back when they got so big and bought that house. And it's like kind of like a Google museum. But anyway, that's fun. She, 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 well, she quote unquote left, but you know, they had, uh, it was the first time, like six months span of time that YouTube, uh, ad revenue had gone down. And, and so my, we brought up Google a lot today and just also want to give the other side that, you know, um, big people have to go too. I mean, you know, it's, it's yeah. not always just the little guys and it's not always just this. I mean, that that's a big person that got walked out the door. Yeah. So and she'll get her house back. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure she's very, very happy. Yeah. 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 I, I read a lot about that too. It's and I'm sure she's going to be on to something bigger and better because she seems very impactful for Google. And, and she seems, you know, I, outside looking in seems like a very, very, you know, smart woman and, and yeah. You know, and, and forward thinking, I mean, take has taken YouTube so far and yeah, now, now the dynamics are changing there potentially. So I'll also just lay in just a mm-hmm. little bit just to say, and, and, and you both pointed it out, but to be explicit about it, when a CEO is let go way different than when like an IC is like, oh. you know what I mean? Like there's, the dynamics at play and the situations that you walk into way different. Yep. So I'm going to play devil's advocate here and say yep. she was probably ready to go and said, Hey guys, cut me loose. Ooh, oh, conspiracy theory. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. I honestly believe like, cause she, like if you read her, her impact she had, it's in like letting somebody like that go. Um, and I'm sure she is, does not want for anything right now anyways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway. At, and that also could come back to what I was talking about. Like, sometimes you don't have a choice. Yeah. So it, it seems that maybe YouTube is now shifting. Yeah. It's getting to a mature market. And so now maybe the bigger arm of YouTube is YouTube TV. Yeah. And some more subscription-based stuff. And so maybe she's not the person to keep leading that charge. Yeah. So again, kind of changing the model from being an innovator and getting all this content online to saying, okay, now we're monetizing it and we're switching how we're monetizing it. And, and kind of coming back to their, there might, I'm sure she wants for nothing. Yeah. And I'm sure she agrees with some of those things. And I'm, I'm giving this off of a, you know, three, three paragraph article I read about the situation, (laughs) but, but at the same time, I mean, you know, you, there's no denying that, you know, when, when somebody abruptly leaves there, there was probably a hard discussion on both sides. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No doubt. Well, there you have it. Our bottoms up view of business decisions from the boardroom in the basement on behalf of all of us here in the boardroom. Thanks for listening.